Welcome everyone tuning into the February Southwest Climate Podcast, a joint project by the Southwest Climate Change Network and the Climate Assessment for the Southwest, or CLEMIS, both here at the University of Arizona. Uh, for those of you who don't know, on this podcast we discuss climate and weather as it pertains to Arizona and New Mexico, um, but that also means that we uh, have to talk about uh, phenomenon in far-off reaches like the Arctic and, and the tropical Pacific Ocean. So today is Tuesday, February 26th, and I'm here with Dr. Greg Garfin, a climatologist and longtime contributor to CLEMIS. I'm Zach Guido, also a CLEMIS contributor. Today we'll uh, amble through our customary climate and weather roundup and, and talk about uh, the latest climate news on, and, and what's, the, what's the burning question here in the Southwest. So I'll kick it off with some numbers. Since January 1st, um, it's been basically a tale of two states for precipitation. Uh, the high elevations uh, it's in central Arizona, the higher elevations in central Arizona has actually fared uh, fairly well with uh, recent snow, snowstorms contributing there. But New Mexico, on the other hand, has been largely dry. Uh, most of New Mexico has experienced less than 70% of average. And most of, uh, of, of Arizona, outside of those higher elevations, has been slightly below average. Um, and that was since January 1st. In the last month, that pattern uh, is, it has been mimicked. The higher elevations in, in Arizona have fared well, and, and New Mexico uh, has been uh, fairly dry. Um, the current state of drought in Arizona, it's about 83% of the state is experiencing moderate or more severe drought category, uh, which is a slight improvement from one month ago, about a 10% improvement there. And uh, New Mexico, nearly all of New Mexico is experiencing uh, at least moderate drought. Um, temperature actually has been uh, fairly, fairly cold in Arizona um, and actually across the, the, the southwest and most of the west, dipping you know, between 4 and 8 degrees below average in, in the higher elevations. And so, um, you know, we have a, the snowpack situation in, in most of, of the west, which is, is below average, average, particularly in, in the upper Rio Grande basins and the upper Colorado basin, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But I wanted to turn it over to Greg with, with those numbers. What do you think is the, is the climate story of the last month? Well, Zach, I think the climate story of the last month has been variability. And you put it very aptly to talk about a tale of two states. Even if we, if we move from west to east here and go from Arizona across to New Mexico, the snowpack has been very highly variable. We've got below average snow water equivalents in the Upper Verde and uh, the White Mountain uh, watersheds. But there seems to be a sweet spot in the Tonto Creek and the Western Salt River Basin where several of the stations like Workman Creek and Happy Jack have really good snow numbers there, you know, well above average snow water equivalent for this uh, wa uh, water year. And you move over into the upper Gila watershed, you know, from, the, from Mount Baldy and the, the White Mountains over into the, the upper Gila watershed and, and into the high mountains of northern New Mexico and southern Colorado that either drains into the Gila or into the Rio Grande and other, other rivers that flow through New Mexico. And it's looking like a really bum winter there with forecasts, you know, and stream flow for uh, Lower, much lower than average stream flow and you know, the, the looming possibility as uh, 
Wayne Sleep from the New Mexico NRCS put in his monthly uh, basin summary of you know the prospect of uh, really reduced allocations in the lower Rio Grande. Which is not uncommon right now. In fact, it's been the norm in the last 10 years. So, so for you, the climate story so far is snowpack. Well, yeah. It's and variability. Not, and variability. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's been wonderful to have these storms. It's been thrilling to have these storms come through. But overall, we're still not really ahead of the, the curve right. in terms of overall snowpack in the way that we have been in, uh, in some winters where it just blankets the, you know, the whole southwest. But if you, if you look at the, the snowpack here in, in the basins that matter, we have to go up north in, in, into Colorado and parts of Utah, and even actually all, all the way up into, into, into Wyoming. But the picture up there is, is it would be low variability. <laughs> well, yeah. Or low snowpacks with, you know, variability. The, yeah, the occasional above average snowpack, like in, in Utah. Or uh, Colorado, there, I mean, across the board there below average. Right. So really... Western Colorado, the western slope of the Rockies. The stuff that feeds into the Colorado River, the stuff that eventually comes out of our taps. I mean, looking, looking at that snowpack, I mean, it seems like the central area of Arizona has been one of, one of the lucky winners so far to a, to a winner of, of scant snow in, in, in the upper, well, in Colorado and Rio Grande basins. Yeah, yeah, you, you nailed it right on the head. Yeah. Well, we, we, we're, we're, we're missing our, our fellow climatologist, Mike Kermitz, who would uh, diagnose why that's, why that's the case. But it seems like, um, you know, while Arizona has proffered, profited, you know, New Mexico it has it's, not. It's, but that sort of begs the question, where, where are we moving forward? I mean, not, not in terms of forecast, but is there time? Yeah, so, so that's good. You know, as we move further up onto the Colorado Plateau and into the, uh, <clears throat> the central Rocky Mountains and the uh, eastern Great Basin, uh, you know, you get a much greater percentage of your precip in the springtime. So there is still a chance, especially in the headwaters of the Rio Grande, you know, where they can still get some really good snow in April. You know, there's still time. In, in Arizona, the, the clock's running down because we usually hit our peak at about March 15th. So we've got a couple of weeks, really, to, to get a few more systems to come in. Right, I can, I can add some numbers to that. Um, yeah. So in the upper, upper Rio Grande, uh, for March, based on, this is an, an older climatology period, the 61 to 90, but the average March precipitation is, is, is somewhere between 12 and 16 uh, percent of, of the annual precipitation in parts of the upper headwater. So that's, that's a, that's a fair, yeah. fair amount. And then in the central areas of uh, Arizona, um, it's more on the order of 8 to 12. So it's, it's, it's less. So March does contribute, contribute to, to totals in both those areas, but it, it is more in, in, the, uh, in the upper area, in the upper Colorado River Basin and Rio Grande Basin. Yeah, and you know, I think we also have to think about the temperature factor because we can get one good heat wave and it would eliminate a lot of snow. So going back to the snowpacks where we do have near average or slightly above average in some of the central Arizona snowpacks, how much has the, the cooler than average temperatures contributed to that? 
Or, or are we just looking at these numbers because they were boosted by the recent storm that, that came through last week, the blizzard? Uh, yeah, well, I haven't been following the time series of that. And, uh, you know, we started off the season with a really good, like, December snowpack. And I, I know that we had a very warm second half of January. So we might have, we probably lost snow in that time period. But we've but as you mentioned to me earlier, we've had five winter storms pass through the region. And you know, certainly for Arizona, the temperatures in the last couple of months, I mean basically you look since the term of the turn of the year, the temperatures have been pretty well below average, and I'm sure that's helping the snowpack stick, and it was a major factor in this right. this recent storm. Even though, you know, we got, a, you know, tropical moisture coming in, there were low-latitude moisture being pumped in around that really deep low. Um, the temperatures have still been really low. The, the, the snowfall went across the day into the, you know, following evening and, and next day, and we, you know, that that really helped for things to stick. I mean, that, that's been a, a good news story for us. But, you know, if we take the, the step back and try to have a look at how ENSO neutral years play out, especially during the cold phase of the Pacific decadal variability, um, generally, we don't end up with above average Arizona uh, precipitation. And the summers that follow for Arizona and central New Mexico in these neutral and cold phase of, of the Pacific turn out to be dry years and dry summers. And, you know, we can't really use these analogs for forecasts, but they give us a little bit of indication. Yeah, well, it, yeah, you know, gives us something to talk about. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, rewind, you know, four, four months and, you know, we're, we were just off the heels of this rapid dissipation of an El Nino event into neutral. And uh, the forecasts there were picking up on what they call this, this PDO, you know, inso neutral signal. And they actually forecast for below average precipitation. And, yeah. and then we looked, you know, into the, into the literature and it, it when you looked at composites of enso neutral phases with coupled with negative phases of um, sea surface temperatures in the northern Pacific, um, like you mentioned, Greg, it did favor below average uh, precipitation. It was more so in, in, in Arizona than in New Mexico, but it was below average in basically all of the, the, the Rio Grande and Colorado watersheds, which actually has has played out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I, guess, I suppose, an analog, and, and you know, it's a, it's a check that they got it right, but looking forward to these same sorts of analogs, it's a little bit harder to talk about the monsoon right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always. It, it's, it's, uh, it's never um, anything that we feel super confident about, talking about the monsoon, especially this early in the year. You know, maybe April, early, late April, early May. You know, people will be more interested in, in making a forecast and sticking by it. And we should mention that that work on the Enso neutral stuff is by Greg Goodrich, 
currently of Western Kentucky University, but he did his PhD up the road at Arizona State University. And there's been very little work overall on these ENSO neutral and its implications for the Southwest. So that, you know, gives us an anchor. I should also say, though, that um, the one month and the, uh, the, the one month seasonal, excuse me, the one month outlook by the Climate Prediction Center um, for March is also predicting um, below average precipitation. Yeah, and the seasonal is also favors the odds for below average. And once the seasonal gets into the monsoon season, it's basically flipping a coin. But that's yeah. always the case. Yeah. At this at this time time of year, so the horizon doesn't look that bleak. And I, if we're talking about the horizon, we ought to talk about streamflow forecasts, which yeah. relate to the um, um, snowpack situation. And it sort of brings up this curious case of. There is near average, slightly above average, um, in some basins in central Arizona, but um, for instance, the Salt River best, um, best estimate uh, is calling for much below average uh, runoff. So right. de decouple this. How, how, how does near average snowpack yeah. lead to much below average stream flow? That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. And, um, well, they must you be. know, I, I forget where, to what degree their, um, their models include temperature. I think it's primarily snow precip and, and soil moisture routing. Right. It's accumulated precip and then yeah. expected, expected precip, I believe, is, 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 is their, their algorithm. But nonetheless, on the Salt River, for instance... Yeah, um, probably given the snowpack that we had on February 1st when the forecast was made, that would account for... We, we had less snowpack then, and you know that would account for a, a, a much below average um, uh, forecast. And also noting that, you know, we don't... Again, we don't have a whole lot of the year to get more snow. Right. We might get more precip. Not a whole lot of the year to get more snow, and you know when the forecast was made for the salt, um, the the high peaks in the the eastern part of the basin, you know a lot a lot of the area didn't didn't have a lot of snow, and I'm thinking that the, the some of the uh, some of the snowtail stations in the central and western part of the Salt River Basin are at much lower altitudes. So even though they're showing, you know, well above average snow water equivalent compared to the, the long term, it overall for the basin, it may not be a lot of snow. Right. And so, you know, that would translate into a low snowpack. And I suppose, you know, if we, if we think about what the preceding soil moisture was from a very warm fall, that's not going to help you out either. Right. And then, Greg, before, before signing off, there is one other thing that I, I, I wanted to talk about because I, I had a, a few emails and a, a few calls in the last week pertaining to the blizzard. The quote, I'm doing air quotes now, the, the blizzard. And uh, people uh, are, are interested in knowing how extreme this event was and, more importantly, whether or not it was tied to climate change. So I have, if somebody were to ask you, was the blizzard an extreme event, and what's its relation to climate change? What, what's your response? Well, the, the blizzard was, um, 
it was somewhat unusual in in uh, in the, the the very low snow levels that especially here in southern Arizona, where, which where I presume a lot of your questions came from. Yeah, it was all local. Yeah, so yeah, the snow level, you know, getting down to the valley floors, you know, that that's that's somewhat unusual, but. Most years we get snow in the mountains, you know, here in southern Arizona. And um, it, we only have to go back uh, just a, a few years to, I think it's 2009, where we had snow in the valley on the, the east side of Tucson, a couple of inches in the valley. And, uh, you know, if we, if we continue to go back, you know, we see these sorts of things. Um, so it's not, not unusual to get snow, it, it, certainly in the context of this winter and recent memory, we, we haven't had a whole lot of snow. So, you know, it's, it seems unusual, going back a couple of years. Um, and in terms of climate change, um, well, at this stage, you know, we can't attribute it directly. I mean, that, that's a very detailed kind of scientific study to attribute a single event to some kind of uh, climate pattern or circulation anomaly or outflow of cold air from the Arctic and so on and, and say that that was definitively, you know, based on some human-caused characteristic. Generally, and this was brought up uh, notably in a paper, I think it was a year or two ago by... Uh, Kevin Trenberth of the National Center for Atmospheric Research, that at this stage, our, our climate system is affected by human-caused warming. And that has ramifications for you know, all factors of sea ice, land ice, uh, uh, just you know, temperatures, and the, the impact of, of this on atmospheric circulation, the amount of water vapor in the atmosphere, and so on. You know, to the degree to which that contributes to a single event right. could be really low. You know, if, if, if we had the time to do it, maybe we'd figure out that it was 4.3% or something like that. But, but generally, at this point, I mean, we have to say that the, the climate system, by and large, right. is affected by these changes. But uh, Trenberth's point, which I think is, 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 is worth highlighting again, and I sort of use the image of you're sort of in a boat, and, and, the, and the waves are the, are the weather, yeah. and, and, and the background ocean, the, the level of the ocean is the climate, and if you're in rising seas, let's say, if your climate is changing, your waves will be, your, your peaks will be higher and your troughs will be less high. So your sort of weather is changing as the, 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 the climate is, is moving too, and it, so I think that's a good way to conceptualize it. Yeah. Um, but to your point, yeah. it's statistically somewhat, there's folly in the statistics of trying to attribute one event to. Well, especially trying to do it in a really short amount of time. It takes a lot of analysis. Well, anyway, that was uh, some inbox emails that I, I, I wanted to address. Um, so I think, uh, That'll end it for us today. Uh, thanks for everybody for tuning in. Um, you'll be able to access this podcast on both the Clemus web website, which is www.clemus, spelled C-L-I-M-A-S, .arizona.edu, 
and on the Southwest Climate Change Network site, which is www.southwestclimatechange.org. Uh, we'll be back in a month. Hopefully we'll be joined with our other climatologist, uh, Mike Crimmins, and we'll get you up to date on the latest climate and weather here in, in the Southwest. Thanks again. See you in a month.